You're listening to Rambling with Ryu, hosted by Bean, the co-founder of Ryu Paralysis Recovery Center living with a T10 spinal cord injury, and Nancy, a professional kinesiologist specializing in pediatric and adult neurorehabilitation. Welcome to our activity-based therapy series, where we talk to leading clinicians, researchers, and those with lived experience as we explore the realm of neurorecovery. On this podcast, we educate on the lesser-known topics and give practical tips and tricks to help elevate your practice. Today, we're going to be talking to an amazingly inspirational woman, the first woman who I met in a wheelchair who taught me what true confidence looks like. She is the first Miss Wheelchair Canada, and she is an incredible human being who is an author, a motivational speaker, and some also call her a reverend. Welcome to the podcast, VN King. <laughs> oh, Bean, you had me in tears and then laughing. I love it. This is already going to be a great session, but I'm honored to be here, Bean and Nancy. So good. Thank you for the beautiful introduction. Well, we are really happy to have you here. This has been a long time coming. You have made such a big impact in my life and I think vice versa, as we have always talked about previously. Yes. <laughs> but we'll get into some of that. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and how you uh, got to where you are? Well, let's just start with some of the practical stuff. You know, I'm a red hair and freckles and a personality to match. You know, I've always loved being in the excitement of whatever was happening around me. I was born in a small town, Newfoundland, born and raised there, outgoing. I, I love to play sports in my whole life. You know, I was a cheerleader in high school. Do you know, in college, I actually had the, they named me Social Butterfly. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. So, I mean, I've always been very energetic and outgoing. I love people. I love being around people. And so that's basically the, the background of who I was and, you know, being raised in small town Newfoundland. And I guess I just really love people and just, I guess, got a compassion uh, for people and, you know, going and maybe that's a little bit of stubborn, uh, redheaded uh, determination, but that's who I am. So along with all of the other words that describe who you are, you are also a wheelchair user. Do you mind taking us back to that day that you acquired your wheelchair? Wow, yes. Even though it was many years ago, 22 years ago, actually, to be exact, but I can remember the day like so clearly because I was getting ready to go out to church because I was excited to show off my engagement ring. Just got engaged that week prior and uh, I remember starting to experiencing some pain in my upper body, in my chest and out my arms. And I was just like, shake it off, right? Shake it off. You know, I'm not staying home today. I, you know, I have some bling to show off kind of thing, right? But anyway, the, the pain started getting worse. And then next thing you know, well, I called my parents. I was talking to them and the way that I was describing this pain, they thought I was having a heart attack. And somebody called the, the ambulance and got me to the hospital. And I remember sitting in the hospital in the hallway they had me on morphine for pain because the whole, like even just trying to get me out of my upper loft apartment was a whole, you know, experience in itself because they were afraid to move me because I was crying so loudly from the pain. They finally got me to the hospital. So here I am laying in the hallway of the hospital, hooked up to morphine for pain. And I remember like, you know, when you get uncomfortable, when you're lying for a long time, you move and you shift. Well, when I started taking my hand 
from one side of my body and moving it, like literally having to move it with my hand. I was like, that's weird. Like I never had to do that before. And then when I started to have to do it with my leg, I noticed that like, wait a minute, I can't do this on my own. I literally had to take my hand and move my leg. So I was like, that's not good. So I, that's when I told the nurse, I'm like, nurse, I can't, I can't move my legs. Right. So at that point they wheeled me into an emergency room, like right away. And they started testing my vitals, like my, my reflexes, and my vitals. And every 15 minutes, I, I had less reflection, less movement, and they had life support waiting because the way that it was going every 15 minutes, there was less, less movement, less feeling, and they thought they were going to lose me. So they, they had life support waiting, but they, they didn't need that, thankfully. But after, oh, might've been six to 12 hours, I'm not really sure exactly, but within half a day, I was paralyzed from the chest down. And that was all they knew at that point. They didn't know what it was. So after a week of test, after that, they finally diagnosed me with transverse myelitis. That's a very incredible story. Sounds a lot like mine. Right? Yeah. How did you feel once you got that diagnosis? Well, I think I'd uh, go back to my redheaded stubbornness, you know, that kind of thing. I was a little bit you know, like this is not my end story. And I know that the doctors have to be telling you that, you know, this, well, I remember the day that he stood in front of my bed and he said, Vienne, you have transverse myelitis and we're going to send you to long-term care and you're basically going to need full-time care forever. Wow. And I remember telling him like, no, <laughs> no I said that's not gonna happen right like I don't remember exactly how I said it but I just said like no and he says well they'll they, these are the results prove me wrong if you will right so when I got that diagnosis I think I was a little bit in denial obviously but like I think that determination not to give up and accept that diagnosis I think was a part of the journey and it's funny because when he said, prove me wrong, if you will, like, so the specialist, my doctor, my family doctor, and they were all in a meeting to try to determine what they would do with me. My family doctor, who was a faith believing man, he said to them, he said, listen, this girl is 23 years old. What would you do if this was your daughter? Would you just send her to long-term care or would you give her a chance and send her to rehab? And they said, well, she's not even able to sit up. She can't eat on her own. She still has the feeding tube and all these things, right? And he says, well, he said, we have to give her the chance. So when they came and they said, well, there's no bed even available. The thing is, as soon as they decided that, okay, if all these stars align, if all these things happen, fine, we'll give her that chance. Well, being a Nancy, I'm going to tell you, if you don't believe in prayer, I'm telling you that, you know, people that seen, even the doctors have seen the way that that all unfolded. Like my feeding tube came out that week. The bed came available at the end of the month. And then I started sitting up on my own because if I couldn't sit up on my own or be able to eat on my own, I wasn't able to go to rehab. By the end of the month, feeding tube was out. I was sitting up, eating on my own, very, <laughs> very delicately eating on my own, must I add, but... As I was being wheeled out to transfer to Rehabilitation Hospital in Toronto, guess who I saw in the hallway? That specialist. 
And I looked at him and it was, I think it was just this amazing moment where I looked at him. I'm like, see, I told you, but it's just those moments like that. It's just like, okay, when I was first injured, my first thought after, to be honest, my first thought was, why can't I pee? Yeah. You know, there's just so many, many thoughts, but going back to originally having that determination and going through all of that, you know, you just have to take each day at a time. And that's what I was doing way back then. That's all I knew how I didn't even know about the future. All I knew was what was happening in that moment. It's such a scary moment because you don't know what's happening. You're trying to remain calm and you're trying to like, think about things for yourself, right? Like, what did I do? What could have led to this? And you just got engaged right before, like, that's insane. Yes. Actually that was aside from all the other things, like why can't I pee? When was I going to be able to get back to life as normal? And out of all those questions, one of the biggest questions I had was, do I still have a fiance? That was another big question that I had to address in that. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask you about next is what happened with that? Well, I mean, I think that we all, no matter who you are, we all carry insecurities and things like that. And then when something happens like this, well, it's like I felt well, I'm not the person that he signed up to be with, right? He didn't sign up for a person with a disability, right? So I was like, I can't even take care of myself. How can I be a good wife, right? And take care of my husband. So I knew I had to ask him if he wanted the ring back because literally I didn't, we didn't even really get a chance to tell anybody, right? And so I asked him, I said, you know, we hadn't really told anybody, like if I gave you the ring back, you know, you could walk away. I mean, obviously it was a lot for him to, to think about and process, but the end result was he looked at me and he said, you know, he's like, God gave you to me. And he said, I'm not going to give you back now and, and say that you're not good enough. And like, whoever's listening to this, I'm telling you that that gets me every time. Like the fact that he stayed when I didn't even think I was good enough, you know, uh, that he still chose me. And that, that was just the most beautiful thing to hear, you know, in that moment. Yeah, well, even right now, it's such a beautiful thing to hear because your guys' love is so pure and Vaughn's such an amazing man. Something you said is that he didn't sign up to be dating or married to somebody with a disability. But I want to point out that you didn't sign up to be the person with a disability either. Right. It's not a fault. It happens. One thing you said to me when we first met and uh, we had that dinner at Earl's, (laughs) one of the things, first things when you were paralyzed, you were like, can I still do my makeup? Do I have enough hand function to put mascara on? I just yeah. love that so much. <laughs> That's what you were thinking about? Oh, right. Yes. Yes. I remember that. I, thanks for re- bringing that to my remembrance, Bean, because you're right. Like, aside from, will I be able to pee? Like, you're right. I literally started using my weak hand to try to do mascara. I mean, I was getting lots of visitors. <laughs> I didn't look good. That was funny. I love that. Thanks for bringing that back to my memories because you're right. That's one of the things I tried to do. Yeah, that's one of the first memories. I Like when I think of you, that's one of the first things that I pop up in my head. And like, that's awesome. She was really worried about doing her own mascara. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to that dinner, it was my first year of being paralyzed. I was super insecure. I didn't like anything about myself or my situation. And after meeting you, you know, you were just like, 
because I still had my old car that was a standard that I couldn't drive. And that day you were like, you're like, why is, why don't you, why aren't you driving yet? Why don't you have your car? And I said that, you know, well, I'm not ready to give it up and stuff. And you kind of like laughed and you're like, oh, you will be soon. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's funny. I want to throw that back at you because and when you, when you opened up and you said that we both encourage and, and spur each other on, because while I was that confident person that you're talking about, I had given up a little bit in my physical journey of like, because I spent the first three years of my life devoted to working out and rehab. And yeah, like I was confident in my chair because I had owned it. Like, I'm like, I'm good here now. And like, you looked at me, like, like I looked at you and said, oh, you'll be driving like, girl, your, your mom is still pushing you around, girl. I don't know if that was you or somebody else, but it was like, no. <laughs> Oh, that was you. Okay. Yeah. And, and I looked at you like, no, no, you gotta, that gotta, that gotta change. And the same way I said that to you, you called something out in me that really affected me. And that was like, you saw the mobility I had mm -hmm. and that it, like, I think at that point, probably a little bit more mobility than you. And you're like, girl, why aren't you working out? Like you can, like, you can do this. Right. And like, you told me about Nancy and that's how I met Nancy at that point. And like you, I think that was a conversation because I had given up on working out because I used to love working out. I used to love getting up in the morning. I, if I had to be at work at eight, I was up at six doing cardio. Like that was me. Cause I loved working out, but I was so consumed and fixated on all the things I couldn't do. And I was trying and trying and I wasn't getting any success that I just kind of lost that part of who I was. And so being you had helped bring that out in me through what you and Nancy now do professionally with Reu. Like that is what you give hope to people who give up hope on themselves. And whether somebody ever walks again or not, like giving up on you and like the love for life and just being healthy and being active, like that, that's something that you can't put a price tag on, right? Like, and so I thank you guys for bringing that and being for you bringing that out in me at first. So I think we both have to thank each other for feeding something in each other that has kind of been the catalyst to getting us to where we are today. So a hundred percent, you know, you were at Ryu the other day and I was talking to somebody and I was, you know, kind of telling them about who you are and the impact that you made on me. And without you, Vienne, I don't know if I would have found my confidence as fast mm -hmm. as you. like my therapist helped me with that a lot too. Right. But seeing you when we went to that fashion show. Oh my gosh, Bean. <laughs> I have to tell the story quickly. We went to a fashion show for Edmonton Western Canada Fashion Week. We were sitting in the front row and at the end of the fashion show, Sandra, the MC and the host of it, usually asks people to get up and walk the runway and then you can win like prizes. And she turned and looked at me and she's like, do you want to go up there? And I was like, oh my, like, no, I can't. Can't you see I'm in a wheelchair? How am I supposed to walk? Like, no. <laughs> what I was thinking, what I said out loud was, no, absolutely, I cannot. And you sitting right next to me are like, I'll go up there. Somebody get me up there. And my, my sister and my friend picked you up with your chair, put you on the runway. You went back and forth on that runway three times. You owned it. You were posing. Everyone was cheering. And I was just in so much awe. Mm. Like I was on the ground. I was like, how is she doing that? I was like, I could never be that confident. I don't yeah. think I'll ever be there. 
Wow. Like, first of all, uh, I should send you that link for your listeners if they want to grab the link and watch that because your sister got it on her little camera. It's not a very good quality video, but it just gives you the, the ambiance of that night. But the other thing I thought was so incredible about that is that the night before, right, that's when you said that she asked you to go up. And then I came to, with you that next night and I had no idea that they had asked you, right? I had no idea that you had gotten asked to do that until after I got down. I, I was like doing it and like, I had no idea that like that had just happened to you the night before. I got back down off the runway and that's when you had told me. And Bean, that to me meant more than the whole experience of doing that what I'm like, is this even illegal? <laughs> like, is this like, I'm on a, like, you know, can a wheelchair even be on a runway? Like, well, like, like, will I get in trouble? But like, when you told me that that encouraged you the way it did, that meant more to me than the flashing lights and the cameras. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just was just incredible. Yeah, man, straight up for me too. You have such a, made such a big impact in my life. And like, it's bringing, I have a lump in my throat right now because the emotions oh. are just too real. It took me right back to that day. But yeah, you've made a huge impact in my life. And I'm so happy we get to share all these stories and they'll be recorded and be around forever. Right. And on that note about sharing stories and being around forever, you, I featured in a chapter in my book, this, these stories that we're talking about right now, they're actually in this second book that I did. And we'll get to that a little bit later, but it's, it's this story about rising and shining and how we have the, the impact to have your courage be contagious. And that's the, that's the title of my book, Contagious Courage. But we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to that, I'm sure, a little bit later. But yeah, the impact will last forever and be around forever. So yeah. Okay, so let's go back to your spinal cord injury journey. Do you know which level your spinal cord injury was at? Uh, yes, C6, C7. You know, so once you were able to go back to rehab, what was that process like? And what was, how long were you there? What well, was rehab like? Yes. And that process, uh, while it's been a long time, I definitely can remember it was painful. It was about a year in and out of rehab, like eight months, like checked in to the hospital, if you will, rehabilitation. And for the last few months, it was outpatient therapy. But when I remember when I first got there, that's when it got really tough. That's when I started facing the harsh realities that like, this wasn't going away overnight. And then for the next three years, I devoted much effort and energy into rehab without even seeing any results. But when I, when I first got there and I started realizing how tough this journey was going to be, that's when, that's when I really had to dig deep. That's when, I think that's when I started losing a little bit of myself, realizing that literally I'm not going to be that same person again. And, you know, not seeing the results was discouraging. And so that's when I think I, I started losing my love for working out because like, this ain't working for me. Like, you know, this is not working. And so that's, that was a tough journey back for me, like working through the process of this is for the long haul. This is real. And I think it took a long time before I actually was able to love myself again. And I think that's where I started losing myself because I lost myself, you know? Yeah totally fair. You do lose a portion, a portion of yourself and you do lose your identity when yeah. you have something traumatic like this, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So the one story I remember you telling me about your rehab was the one gentleman who was sitting in his wheelchair, rocking side to side, back and forth, kind of all over the place. Do you want to go about, talk about that story a little bit? Oh, I love that story. 
Oh, okay. So in uh, in the rehabilitation hospital, you get to know people and you're like, you see them every day. And this one day, I, I remember going into the cafeteria and I see this man. I wish you could see me now, but I'm just going to do it anyway. And if you lean forward and rock back, just like lean forward, rock back, go side to side. This is the way he was doing. He was moving forward, his back and leaning side to side. I thought, that's odd. I'm like, and so I went up to him and I asked him, I said, hey, Joe, I said, you know, what, what what's happening? What's going on? And he's like, I can lean forward without falling over now. I can go side to side without falling over. And he's like, I just want, I'm testing to see how far I can, I can go forward and backward without falling over. <laughs> and it was just the cutest thing. And those little victories, like those little victories mean so much at that stage of recovery. And I even have one of those of my own stories. And even personally, when I was in, in rehab, I remember reaching for a cup and getting so excited that I reached for a cup without falling over. And so even, even I'm digressing a little bit, but even in those little victories of celebrating is something that you need to know that you need to celebrate those small victories through healing journey. Right. And if you're dismissing those little victories, you're, you're robbing yourself of healing that you need. And so that's one thing that I know that uh, even from that lesson that you brought up, Nancy, is I'm really glad that you brought it up because I'm even reminded of it again now, right? Uh, no matter where you are, don't forget to celebrate the little victories, if it's emotionally, physically, uh, because they do matter. Yeah, we firmly believe that too. And that's what why we have our achievement board, because it's all of those little victories that add up to the big ones. And if you yeah. don't celebrate the little ones, then the big ones, you're not, I mean, some people just celebrate, but they don't have as much gusto, right? They have a lot of meaning behind them still, but it's yeah. just those little ones that like, hey, I never used to be able to do that. And now again, like, yeah, leaning forward and being able to pull yourself back up without using your hands. A lot yeah. of things that a lot of people take for granted are the things that we do need to celebrate now. And hopefully there's other families listening here who will start to celebrate their little victories with their person. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, when you were in rehab, what was your function and sensation and stuff like? And then what was it like when you and I met? And then how has it changed after you started working with Nancy? Who? Well, I didn't have any feeling or sensation, like from the chest down at all. Like I, I couldn't even feel my toes. I couldn't feel anything. When I first met you, I had a little bit more sensation. Like before I even moved to Edmonton, I remember I was sitting in a car. We had just gotten Subway and I had a pop can on the seat. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize it was there, but I felt like something was tingling. And I thought, to me, that might be cold. There's something cold next to me. And I don't even know how I thought that, but it was like, I re that was when I remember I first had the sensation that I could tell that something was cold because I looked down and I saw a pop can and, he put, and you know, I put two and two together. I'm like, oh, that can is cold. And that's when I realized that that sensation is what's telling me that it's cold and that kind of thing. Right. And so I think that organically, you know, they say the body gives back uh, a little bit, you know, but once... I mean, they've said that even after two years, technically speaking, you don't get this back, you don't get that back and all that kind of thing. And so those things are in the back of my mind too. But then, like, as you say, when, when I met you and I started working with Nancy, I, I was starting to do things that I didn't think that I could do. Like she got me on a bike. <laughs> I'm like, 
I can get on a bike. I can do a treadmill. Like Nancy had me doing things that I never thought I could do. You know, walking the block. I'm like, well, now, I mean, I'm start. I feel like I'm starting over in some ways. But as far as the sensation and feeling goes, I do feel like that uh, by being more active and like triggering those muscles and those those brain waves, I guess that were dormant, has enabled me to have more feeling and sensation. But I mean, also, I have a faith as well. So I believe that through faith and hard work, God does the increase. <laughs> that's, that's where I, I kind of uh, look. So, But he gives us people in our lives uh, to encourage us, whether it's emotionally, we need to see people to help us uh, bring out more healing in that way. Or he brings us people like yourself and Nancy and uh, people that are qualified to help you do what the body is supposed to do naturally. So um, it's just been such a great journey to be able to relearn these things and understand that you don't have to let no be no, right? You can still keep going. I do want to clarify something though. Like you did say that, you know, doctors will tell you after two years, you're not going to see anything back or what you have before the two years is what you're going to get back. Right. Um, the only the reason why they say that is because with most studies that are done, they only run for 24 months. So those people are only followed for two years. Mm. They're not followed past that two year mark. So they don't even they don't actually know if people have regained mobility, function and strength. And mm. so that is a bit of a misleading remark that most doctors will say because that's what they have to say, because that's what the evidence states. But, you know, you just don't know unless you're following somebody for 20, 30 years post-injury. How do you really know what's going to come back and what isn't going to come back? So good. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, we're just, you know, I mean, that's our business, right? We firmly believe that people can recover. What recovers? I don't know what's going to come back. We don't know when it'll come back. We don't know. But mm -hmm. we'll be able to try and see. Yeah. And I think that when people give up, and don't try. When you lose hope, you literally lose your will to live. And I think that that is what you guys offer. You offer that hope, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that that's powerful. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I feel like when we met, kind of your journey to becoming an author, a published author, was kind of just beginning as well. So do you want to dive into a little bit about, a bit about that journey? So I've always knew that I wanted to make a difference. I always knew that like, I wanted to make an impact on people's lives, but I really didn't know how I would do that really, right? But the funniest part of the fact that I'm an author is that I've never aspired to be an author. I mean, I always knew I love the spotlight and that goes without saying, you know, a little bit along the way, but not only did I not desire it, like I didn't think I was capable of it. You know, I was a small town, Newfoundland girl. I didn't have good grammar and I'm not a good speller. <laughs> But I just started doing the little things. I remember when I wrote my first article, like post-injury, and I was asked to write an article. And I didn't know the first thing about writing an article. So I actually sat with my professor. And if you know what ghostwriting is, it's you sit with somebody, you tell them what you want to say, and they write it for you. And that is what we did. And for me, that's starting with doing those little things. I was learning also by working with these people. So when I, the more I would work with people to write, I was actually learning. And I wrote my first book. I had an amazing editor and she was just so great. And the next thing I knew, I was correcting some of my own things and learning from basically when you get corrected a lot, you learn from the way that you're being taught. And so here I have my second book 
but you have to know that becoming an author and being a start and find this out now, it requires hard work and determination and discipline because finding that time to create and, uh, you know, write, you're not going to automatically find time. You have to create time. You have to carve out time and be diligent with carving out that time and be sure that you're ready to share your story. And, and I know that, you know, becoming an author sounds so amazing and it is, it is, it is a great accomplishment, but the journey to actually getting your story out there that, I mean, that's a whole other story for me. I, I remember when I started to write my first book, I literally was having nightmares about all the things that I'd been through and all the things, cause I don't know if you guys all know this, but when you're in pain, you make poor choices in your pain. <laughs> well, that was my journey. Read my first book, Going Farther. <laughs> Maybe being led the links in the description, but it's like I made a lot of poor choices and I hurt a lot of people. And so I was starting to write about this and I, I was literally having nightmares that I was this terrible person, you know, and all this stuff. And I had to face a lot of demons when I decided to write. But in that pushing through, knowing that you are ready, in writing and becoming an author, I actually, my husband and I, we actually experienced healing even in the writing of that and facing a lot of things that you never thought you would. So becoming an author is a great accomplishment. Yes. But I'm telling you that there is a hard journey to get that book into print and being, I want to say this is encouragement to you because you're not only facing your practical giants of like that time to carve out and you know, do I have enough money to publish this book? And, you know, do I have the right people? Do I have the right editor and all those practical things, but also the emotional giants that you will face when you are, when you're putting your book into print and, and depending on the nature of your story, you will face those emotional giants. And that's a part of it as well. And so I always said that my physical journey has been so matched with my spiritual and my emotional journey because you still have to push through those emotions to, to get the results that you want. But I'm telling you, the results are amazing once you can push through that. So yeah, so encouragement to you, Bean, but also know that anybody's out there wanting to get their story into print, be prepared. It's an uphill battle, but it's so worth it. So yeah, so now I'm author of my second book and it's it's so worth it. That's incredible. You said that very well. And yeah, I'm starting to feel that too with the emotional side of things. And do I really want everybody knowing everything? But at the end of the day, it's up to me how much I want to share. And honestly, knowing that you did it, I read your book. It was incredibly compelling and emotional and incredibly inspiring as well. And I just think like, well, if Vienne can do it, I know I can do it too. <laughs> uh, yes, that's what I want people to hear. Absolutely. And you can. It is a lot to share all of your personal stories and your and your mistakes and your lessons that you've learned. But, you know, when you go through it, to go through that darkness and go through those tough emotions and the feelings and the trauma that you've held in. And this is for everybody, right? Like you do feel so much better on the other side. You feel lighter and you feel more enlightened and self-aware. And yeah. that's something that we talk about a lot is the self-awareness, mental health, physical health. Cause like you said, it is all tied into one. It is yeah. one very much affects the other. Yes. Yes. And, and I will also add and, and people that maybe are going right through it right now might not see it. And, and even some days we're like, we find it hard to see it. Don't we Bane? But like when you have such a traumatic pain journey, if you are willing to fight for it and work through it, 
that pain, my friend, my brother, my sister, whoever's watching or listening, that pain is the potential to be so much power. And we'll get to that a little bit later on, but it's, it's so true. You basically are gifted with the power to take away all of the millions of excuses of why regular other people can't do X, Y, and Z. Yep. Well, let's get to it right now. I mean, just by listening to you speak right now, I can tell you're a motivational speaker and I think ah. I can too. Yeah. So how did you get into it? How did that, did that land in your lap? Pardon the pun. Yeah, right. Well, I, I mean, as you know, I, mean, I said from a, I think from a very young age, I knew that I wanted to be in the spotlight and talk. And that's a whole other story, right? But how did I become a motivational speaker? This all came more so after I became paralyzed. Interesting enough, that desire that I had to impact and empower, even as a young child, I knew that I wanted to do that. But it truly wasn't until I was gifted with my disability that I was truly able to live out that dream. And like, I remember getting asked, do you want to share your story? You know, would you like to share a story to this little small group or to that little small group and another little small group? And I was asked, could you write this article? And could you, you know, want to share here and just another. Each time I said yes, it was building my confidence and even sharing my story that I didn't realize like, I didn't realize I was being brave or courageous. I didn't realize that what I was sharing was actually encouraging other people. And I think that it's a lie that people tell themselves that I don't have a story or that my story is not good enough. And, you know, people say, I don't have anything to share. and My story is not that great. But everybody has the power to encourage another individual. And I know that because we, I, you know why I know it? Because we all struggle. We all struggle with something, whether it's a physical, emotional, uh, whatever it is, when we're willing to be open and vulnerable to share from that place of pain or vulnerability, you have an opportunity to speak and become a motivational speaker. You might not get that big platform, but one thing that I've learned in my journey to be a motivational speaker, because, okay, so here, here's, here's the thing. So I come bouncing back from being an insecure person in the disability to now I'm like, I'm finding my groove. I realize I have something to offer and I got no platform. And I got like a little bit disappointed and discouraged. I'm like, why does she get to share? Why does he get to share? And you know what I realized? I realized that my platform, my audience was everywhere that I set my foot in my day to day. So whether it was somebody I met at a barista, whether it was somebody I met at the mall or like with Bean, at a, at a dinner at Earl's, we have an opportunity to be a motivational speaker to that one person who needs you. And that is what I want to say to anybody. And if you feel that you don't have a story, I'm telling you that's a lie because you do, you don't have to be in a wheelchair to have a story. And if you are in a wheelchair and you are telling yourself you don't have a story, call me up. We'll have, we'll have some words because that is a lie. You do have a story and you do have something to offer and be a motivational speaker wherever you are and use every opportunity to inspire and empower the world around you. And now more than ever, you are needed to be a motivator. And in that, be a motivation to yourself. Think about yourself first. And because the, what is it they say? The, uh, the flame from your, uh, from your inner self will warm other people. And that is contagious. Yeah. 
Very well said. And I fully agree. Everybody has a story. Nobody is immune from adversity. And you just have to, you know, have the courage, like you said, to share it. And I find like every time I share my story, I release a little of that burden that's on me. Yes. I've told my story a million times and I'll continue to tell it millions more times because it does make me feel better. And, you know, it does put things in perspective for a lot of other people. And I've received lots of messages after giving my speeches too and saying how, you know, now somebody, you know, they're going to go change their life in this way. And one thing I usually ask is like, what are you going to do with that inspiration? What are you, actions are you going to take to make your world more inclusive? Yes. And honestly, a lot of the students that I talk to, they have such great answers. They're like, I'm going to start playing with that kid with a disability in my school. I'm going to start walking home with them. I'm going to start reading books to them. And like, you know, it, that warms my heart because you are really making a big ripple effect in a lot of people's lives. Right. When you, when you share your story, that's what happens. Right. I also want to uh, encourage and like, Cause, okay, so Bean and I were a uh, person with a disability and even on this call right now with Nancy, I remember us uh, talking like uh, she's starting her business and I'm like just stepping out to be an author and I had no idea that I was going to start a nonprofit. But like even in Nancy sharing her struggles uh, with like the mundane of what she's like, you know, working through with starting and, and doing things it like, it actually validated me that this is tough. Like, and so if normal people are struggling, then I shouldn't beat myself up just because I'm in a wheelchair. No, it's, it's tough. (laughs) Right. Like, so no matter what, like when you share, like when, when I was working with Nancy, we'd, I feel like we'd always be in like these counseling sessions as well as like physio. Right. But it's when you share that, like you had a rough day or like you struggled with this and like, Oh, like then I shouldn't beat myself up those things are real. And so the more that we can share, we do have that opportunity to empower people, right? So that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no normal or typical, everybody's got their journey. And I think that's yes. just something to remember is like, whoever you are, no matter where you are in your life, there is validity to what you're going through. And every struggle is something to be an opportunity. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So Vian, now you're also a life coach among all the other titles that you have. (laughs) Tell us a bit more about that and what does it mean to you to be able to coach people through their lives? Wow. Well, I think simplicity of it is walking with people like where they are, helping them to get to where they desire to be. I believe that all people deep down know where they want to be. But they, they sometimes they remain stuck, right? They, they know who they want to be. They know where they want to be. But sometimes it just takes somebody to help bring it out in them and see what's already inside. Like, I mean, like you take our journey, right? We basically life coached each other, really, right? You brought something out in me. I brought something out in you. That's, that's basically it. You listen to the person. You know, you, you listen to them and you basically walking with people. And, and as a coach or as a mentor or whatever, you give guidance and you like give them direction without being pushy, but also it's, it's practical helping, helping people set mini goals. Like you guys know about that, right? You know, start small think that like, what is it that you can do today that, you know, some people say the next right thing, you know, it's not about, okay, so where do you want to be? Help, help people visualize where they want to be and help them make actionable goals to kind of start that process going and actually becoming a life coach, I had to be life coached. 
And I want to tell you this story because it's really uh, interesting. I remember when I was writing my book and it was the same time as I was training to be a life coach. And my, my coach asked me, she's like, so she said, are there any barriers to your big dream? Is there anything stopping you from living your big dream? And I says, well, I said, no, I said, well, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm writing my book. I feel like I'm living my dreams. I said, I'm terrified uh, about writing my book and, and what that would, you know, like, cause I was going through those emotions of like, what will people think of me? And I was facing all those demons I've mentioned earlier. And uh, I said, but I'm doing it anyway. And she's like, well, why do you have that fear? And what do you think will happen once people know your story? And so I just told her, I'm like, I thought people would tell me that I'm a terrible person. And I thought that maybe if I air this stuff after, you know, my marriage is good, it's going to ruin my marriage again. And maybe I'm in an interview somewhere sometime live and someone calls me uh, whatever it is that they want to say. And uh, I'm like, so I'm, I'm, I'm going over all the what ifs in my mind, but gosh, golly, I'm doing it anyway. And when she said, she said, well, what would you say to those people when they say those things, if that actually happens, what will you tell them? And when I said, I will tell them I'm not that same person. I want to tell you that something lifted off of me that I can't even express. Something lifted off of me because I realized in that moment that when I tell people that I'm not that same person and they still choose to believe that I am, I realized you don't matter. <laughs> you don't matter. And it's just like life coaching is like that. You, you help people take away the scary of the fear that they're going through in life. I was writing my book and I was doing this, but I thought that I still had to live in this fear. I didn't have to live in this fear, but I didn't know that until I had somebody show me that I didn't have to. And I think that that is why I'm doing what I'm doing now, because I want people to live abundant living. I want people to realize that, you don't have to be scared out of your mind every day to do what you do because most often our fears and our insecurities revolve around what other people think of us. So if I've helped anybody in answering what life coaching is, I'm hoping that that will be the thing that if we can release ourselves from the fear of what other people think, that is half of our battle. So yeah, that one's free. <laughs> I was just going to say, there you go. There's your free lesson. Yeah. <laughs> No, really good points, though. And you're exactly right. You know, Gabby Bernstein talks about it too, turning fear to love, right? Uh, and, yeah. you know, flipping that around and facing it and going through it, which is hard, though. It's a really hard thing to do. And a lot of times you don't want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We know that being all too well, like you have those bad days, but don't make any major decisions on a bad day. Yes, agreed. <laughs> right? Yeah. Have a nap and some good food when I die. <laughs> So let's talk about this last year because, you know, obviously 2020 was a difficult year for the whole planet Earth. How are you able to pivot and grow your business and your, because you did so much public speaking, you were constantly traveling around Canada and around the world doing your public speaking. So how has that been affected and how were you able to yeah, pivot and grow with the changes? Wow, that's a really good question. I'm so glad I got to, uh, a chance to address this because I feel that I was able to pivot when this pandemic happened because of everything that we had already talked about already being a Nancy, everything that I had gone through 
And because of that, because of what I had learned and grew in my core, I was able to, to pivot and be able to be a voice of inspiration in this season. So that's, I think, what initially gave me the determination to be able to pivot because while I have not been through a pandemic before, I've been trapped with a disability that I wanted out of like nobody's business and had to cry in those times and had to, I felt locked and trapped and there was no vaccine for that, right? Like you had to, you had to figure that out for yourself. And so now in this season where you're literally trapped and, and you have to figure how you're going to find strength. That is what I believe I've been gifted with my whole life. I feel like I've been training for this pandemic. And while it's still been tough and that goes without saying it's tough for all of us, but the, the practical ways I've been able to pivot is that, you know, growing uh, with technology, having a studio, learning to like um, navigate the online experience. I've grown in ways in that, but I think that the core of it, of being able to pivot is having that want to mentality right? Like if you don't have the want to, you're not going to pivot. And, and I think that determination that had been grown in me for all those years, having to go through the struggles that I have, I think that is truly how I've been able to pivot. That strength has, has enabled me to be present now and to be able to help encourage others to now get through and to be a light to help others, you know, to keep going. And that's, that's what I feel like my purpose in life is. And so, I mean, that with the disability, honestly, I feel that this has set me on a path that I've always meant to be on. Yeah. I love that you said, do you have the want? Do you want to? Because I mean, yeah. so many people talk about the why, right? Why are you doing what you're doing? Always go back to your why. Know yeah. the reason that you're passionate or what your purpose is. But that want, that's yeah. a huge part of it too. If you don't want to do that or you don't want to do the work to get where you need to be, you know, knowing your why is good, but you're not going to get there because you don't want it. Right. I think that's a very good point to say in all aspects of life, right? Like we see that at Ryu with the neuro recovery. If you want it, you're likely going to get it. What that looks like, again, nobody knows, but you know, if you're motivated and even, I mean, even able-bodied people, just generally humans, if you want that job and you want it really hard, the universe will likely give it to you. I want to also add in there, you can want to all you want. And one of the chapters in my book is knowing is half the battle because knowing and wanting it is not enough. You still have to put in the hard work and, and right. And so I mean, we know that that is, but just to make sure that other people know that it's not just, oh, I'm going to wish it. And by osmosis, I'm going to get it. It's where being a Nancy are. It's not because they just wished it and willed it. Not, I am not here because I wished it and willed it. I put in the time. I did the hard work. And that is another part of what people see on people that are thriving. They're reaping or they're, you know, having success. It's not because we just, well, yes, we wanted it, but we also did the hard work to get here. Very true. Yeah, very true. So what would you say now? Like, so how many years has it been since you've been injured? Or since your paralysis? Yeah, 22 years, May. Wow. Okay. So what would you say to somebody who has recently been injured? What would your advice be to them with your 22 years of knowledge and experience? Like if I could only say one thing, and you know, I'm going to say more, but I would say, learn to love yourself and this new you. Learn, learn to love yourself first, because when you learn to love yourself, the what or the how you're going to do this or how you're going to do that. You'll figure that out. You'll get the want to, but if you don't learn to love yourself, you won't have the want to. 
have grace for yourself. Like, be gentle with yourself. Like don't like don't beat yourself up for something that you can't do. If you go somewhere and there are stairs, yeah, it sucks that society hasn't made it so that you can't get everywhere. Don't don't make you feel bad for that. Don't beat yourself up because you can't get there. That's not your fault. Anyway, so that was just a little preach on the side, but and and when there are things or obstacles or mindsets about yourself that you have that debilitates you. So when you love yourself and, and this is the other thing you will find another way around these obstacles. And because when I was first paralyzed, I was consumed with fear and insecurities and I didn't even want to do anything another way. And that was keeping me stuck. And I wanted desperately, I wanted desperately to be independent, but I'm like, I'm not going to drive unless I can drive with my feet. Right? So when I, but when I realized that there were things that I could do, I'm now driving with hand controls. Right? So when I realized that I could do things differently, that gave me more confidence. And I thought, man, if I could do that, what else can I do? And not limit because, you know, that limits yourself even more, more than your disability, because I found that my limitations or my disabilities have often been the ones I put on myself. And I had to ditch my I can't mentalities. And that's tough love right there. I mean, obviously, so initially when you are uh, wounded and you're in that spot where you're first disabled, there is that healing process and you never want to rush that. So I'm, I'm just giving you the full Monty, the rundown of the stages. If you are still in trying to figure out how to love yourself, stay there as long as you can and, and allow yourself to say, I can. You're allowed to like whine and complain for a little while, <laughs> right? Because it sucks. And even now today, yesterday, I whined and complained to Bean <laughs> a little bit because things just suck and you need to acknowledge it. But there comes a time that those whining and complaining uh, you get trapped behind that, right? And you're like, I can't do this and I can't do that. But that I can't mentality has to change because you, you are meant to thrive. And this I can't mentality, ditch that and find other ways to thrive in life. But it starts with loving yourself and wanting to because you are not less of a person. You are strong. You are brave. You are worthy of all that life has to give you and so much more. Yes, girl. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Totally. Very well said. So then what are your goals now? What are you, where do you see yourself in five years? Who? Uh, my goals, I'm feeling that like my goals, I'm living out them right now. Right? I feel I'm walking at my dreams and my goals. And right now, my current goal is to develop and create support curriculums and workshops, which I'm, you know, in the process of doing so that I can have these available to help people see that they can be free and live abundant life, no matter what your circumstance is. Right. And, but where I see myself in five years is having an impact, not only on persons with disabilities, but people of all walks of life, because you know what, it doesn't matter if you're a strong leader or you're just not sure what you want to be in life. I want to be impacting people of all walks of life to understand that they can live in freedom and abundant living. And, you know, so practically, I, I don't know, like I, I'm not about wishing for a platform just because I want to, but I believe that what has happened in me is that I have 
basically lost hope in my own life. I've, I've said all the I can'ts, I've made up all the excuses, and that's why I've written two books, right? But I believe that my goals is I, I want to have a TV show or a, a platform where I get to be able to encourage and inspire people like on a global scale. And so I choose every day to do the next right thing that will impact the next person in my path and to do what I know I've been put on this earth to do. And that is to inspire others with the courage that I had to dig out to help them see that they can too. And that that's my goals. That's where I want to be. And I feel that that's what is happening now. Only just maybe keep it growing and on a grander scale and just keep doing the hard work. <laughs> Well, there is no doubt that you are going to make a global impact on people's lives. Just hearing your passion and the fire and knowing you, for sure, <laughs> there is, oh. you're going to be on stage. I mean, you already were as Miss Wheelchair Canada. And just right. before we wrap up here, I do want to just slip the story in because I feel like we need to tell it. Oh. In 2017, I found out about the first Miss Wheelchair Canada pageant. Yes. And I applied right away. One of my friends told me she's in the pageant circuit. And so she told me, I was like, oh, yes, this would be awesome. And I told you about it. And you were kind of humming and hawing like, no. <laughs> about joining and about applying for it. And, you know, I was I really wanted you to. And you were on the fence and stuff. And I remember saying, like, you know, if I want to if I'm going to win, I want to win against the best. And that's oh. all. This is your thing. I don't want to like, you know, I want, I don't want to go and like compete against you. And that's when you said like, oh girl, I want to win against the best. That was just like, well, I mean, I, you know, inclusivity has been always really important to me. And, you know, I really always want everybody to do everything together. And that's a, a big extrovert in me. <laughs> You know, when you did apply, I was really excited that we, first of all, we get to go to Vancouver together and right. have some fun. And then what ended up happening is I ended up having to go to court for the same days that the pageant was on. And right. I did ask my lawyer if there was any way we could change the court date for a beauty pageant. And he looked at me and was not happy. And obviously I, we didn't do that. And so I had to withdraw from the pageant and you ended up winning. Of course, that was not a surprise. And then, you know, once you won, you got to participate in the Miss Wheelchair World pageant in Poland. And by no surprise to anybody, you represented Miss Canada and won Miss Kindness. Like that yeah. was so fitting. Aww. And then, you know, the next year for the pageant, I applied again. And just the way it happened, I feel like that's how the universe meant it to be, that you got to pass the crown on to me. And just that symbolic moment, you know, like, I'll never forget that because because Aww. you, I was able to have the confidence to do half the things I've done. And now just that really like that symbolic and physical moment of you passing that crown to me just... I don't know. It means the world to me. It was, it was an amazing thing. And like, I know it's, it, it, people laugh when it's a pageant, but there is so much some symbolism there. And I remember when you told me you couldn't go Bean. I remember the day that you told me, like, I literally cried because I'm like, but I only went because she like got me here. And, and I, I remember having that conversation with you and what you said to me being was so life-giving. Like you, you were like, Vienne, this is your year. Like, this is the way it's meant to be. And like, you know, you, you acknowledge that I've encouraged you and, and you like, girl, this is the way it's supposed to be. And next year it'll be my year. Like you even, you even acknowledge that. It was just such a, 
a serendipitous like whole situation happening. And so, yeah, you're right. When I won that and I went to the worlds and then came back and, and was able to pass you to crown, I feel like that we did do it together. Only we tag teamed it and like maximized it better than we ever thought. Right. And so I, I, and even on the, the big stage and getting out there, like that is like, I look over and you're, you're opposite me. Like you're on the other side, just doing your thing too. Like everybody needs everybody to be in that spotlight. And I think that that is another thing that I love about you. You're not afraid to let other people around you shine. And I think that that is another huge, we could do a whole new podcast on that about not being afraid to, you know, let other people shine uh, and you do that well. And I think that as we shine together, we even put that out there as a good example that like we can both thrive and we don't have to like be jealous of each other, even though sometimes we are a little, we have to admit sometimes it can all being like, look at her go again. And uh, you know, same thing. Oh, yeah, there she goes again. But it's like, it's like, we're both so excited about what the other is doing. And so like in the world in particular, like it's that dog eat dog world. And it's like, oh, if she's successful, then, you know, like, oh, I didn't get that, you know, that kind of thing. But I just, I just love, and I'm rambling a little bit because it's just so exciting, but I, I, I hope I'm making sense, but I just love that we can support each other and be excited in all the successes that we've had. And so I just thank you for that. Of course, there's so much room at the top. There's so much. Yeah. And women are constantly pitted against each other. And this has been this, this way for centuries. And now is the time to change that, right? It's been a big yeah. movement happening. And I want to see as many queens with me at the top as I can get there. And, yes. you know, we'll do whatever we can to help anybody reach their dreams. Yes, yes. I want to actually, you know what? I don't know when this is going to be aired, but May 1st, which is the day that I'm posting an interview that I just did with a girl who wrote a book about this very topic and the title of her book is why can't we all just get along and she talks about well she talks about faith-based women but she also talks about women in general about we're, we're all on the same team and you know all this stuff so anyway go watch that interview it, it, it's going to be posted uh, so yeah it, it'll be a one to watch <laughs> but awesome. it's on that very concept right like we all fight against each other and we do it we women we do it best but we don't have to be we're on the same team and uh, the more that we can shine together, I think uh, Matthew Arnold said, if there ever comes a time when the women of this world come together strictly and purely for the benefit of mankind, it will be a power uh, like this world has never known. That day's coming, man. It's it coming. is. It is. It. It's already happening. The troops are aligning, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I yeah. want to you so much vn for joining us on this podcast you oh. are such a shining light in this world and i don't like that you have a spinal cord injury but without your spinal cord injury in mind we never would have met and yes. we've been doing half of the things that we're doing so right. thank you so much for sharing your wisdom i will definitely put some of your contact information in the de description of this podcast and as well with our social media posts to follow it if you'd like to get in contact with VN, you can do so there. VN, last words? Yeah, I just want to thank you and Nancy for being such a catalyst in my own journey. And, you know, as we've already did this beautiful recap of our story, I just pray that uh, other people are encouraged to, you know, allow people to be there for you in support and, and be a support for others. Yeah. So just thank you so much for allowing me to share my heart today. It was a pleasure. Yeah, it was a uh... Our pleasure to have you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. 
As always, we would greatly appreciate if you could subscribe, leave us a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts as this helps us increase our reach. And stay tuned for another episode coming at you in two weeks.